Well, first thing what I'd like to do is I wanted to announce some new members. We have 11 new members some that we want to present to you. And if when I get to your name, if you're here, if you wouldn't mind standing. Uh, these are all folks who have completed our membership process, which begins with the OCC preview. And then we have a class 101, which is like an afternoon, Sunday afternoon class, about a three to four hour class where we talk through our mission and our core values. And, and then we have a... A staff member or one of the leaders in our church has mem- uh, a meeting with each of these folks and, and just just dialoguing, discussing what it means to be, par- be a part of our church. And so all of these folks have completed that process, and so I want to present them to you. If you're here, would you just stand up when I call your name? Uh, we had a handful of them in the first service, but if, if you are here, Mario and Viviana Perez, Dan and Lisa Singer, Rebecca Bernard, Michelle Mathis, all first service so far, it looks. Oh, okay, okay, stay, stay standing, all right. <laughs> okay, Kika Grant, Christina McDonald, Savannah Zabinden, Erica Stevens, and Paul Eim. Okay, so it's just Rebecca and Michelle, all right, in here. So let's welcome them. I want to pray for you, for you too, and, and even the rest of the gang. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, Rebecca and Michelle and them joining up with us, Lord, and, and choosing to really band together with us to accomplish the mission that, that we have inherited as a church. And that's a mission that Jesus Christ gave to us, Lord, to help people come to know you and uh, to help people grow up to full maturity. And so we thank you for them choosing to partner with us, Lord, and, and relate in a certain way uh, according to biblical values. And I pray that you would allow them to use their gifts here, help us to be a part of their growth, Lord, and supporting them uh, in, in the journey ahead, Lord. We thank you for uh, their decision to follow you in this way. And, and um, I do pray, Lord, that uh, you would... In our church, Lord, that there would be a, a strong current of growth towards people join with us, Lord, that we would, uh, we would grow. We would experience a strong pull towards biblical values that really do shape the character of who we are. We ask for your help in that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, you two can be seated. We are launching a, a new series, and this has quite a title, God and Politics. And so... We're in a presidential election year, so this is a big deal, obviously, for us in our country right now. Did you ever watch the Peanuts cartoon? Anybody watch Peanuts, Charlie Brown? Charles Schultz, the creator of that famous cartoon, he said this, There are three things that I have learned never to discuss with people. Religion, politics, and the Great Pumpkin. And so, you don't talk about certain things. And, and, And Common wisdom says that religion and politics should never be discussed unless the, you know the person extremely well, right? And so, so this morning is sort of a relationship, informal relationship test, I guess. And so in this series, we're going to be talking about politics and about God's involvement in this area of, of our world and also our responsibility as Christ followers to, to play our role well and get our minds around what God asks for us to do. Recently, there was the, the, uh, the surprising news of an unexpected passing of a Supreme Court Justice Scalia. He passed away just recently. He was a brilliant judge who made a major contribution to the courts through his role. And uh, he was a devout Roman Catholic who was unflinching but equitable in his conservative approach to life and to law. And 
Scalia, he was a guy that could be in a, he could appear really dry in an argument. If you pull up videos of him being um, hammered by his critics, he could just kind of keep a, a kind of a dry, almost it would appear like cold, but in an argument. But then he was also known for being a very warm and cheerful and a good-natured person as well. His, his best friend, he was a very strong conservative, but his best friend on the court was perhaps its most liberal member, uh, Justice Ginsburg, who is, is who, who they remained very close friends up until his death. Um, now, with brilliant clarity, he once uh, explained this. He says, I attack ideas, I don't attack people. And some very good people have some very bad ideas. And if you can't separate the two, you've got to get another day job. Because he, he's in a really important role. He was in a very important role as one of the Supreme Court justices. And he understood that not everybody was going to agree. And, and if he was going to play that role well, he needed, to, uh, he, he needed to play a specific role. And he couldn't be intimidated by a disagreement. And so, with, with this vacancy, now, if you're reading the news, a lot of people are concerned about what, what's going to happen now. Who's going to fill that spot? And what's that going to do to tip um, the justice system in a certain direction? Now, in this series, we're going to look at the key ideas and the key perspectives from Scripture. My goal is not to put anyone down. I, my goal is not to attack any candidate uh, through this series. So you're free. If you want to uh, you know, see attacks, you can just log on to the web and watch YouTube debates. And, and you can see people attacking each other all, all day long. Here's a quick overview of where we're going. Today we're going to look at our hope. We're, we're hearing a, a plethora of campaign promises that really can ramp up our expectations. And so the big question is, where do we go for help in this season? So, next week we're going to look at the foundation of a country. And how a country typically does well when it's grounded in transcendent laws and truth. And any time that... I, well, history shows that the decline and, and that the decline and fall of countries typically are connected to when a country is floating without an anchor of truth. And so we want to look at this issue of truth next week. Uh, week three, we're going to look at our privilege and stewardship of uh, voting and just being involved in, in the political arena in, on some level. And then the last week is after the vote. What do we do if the person we're hoping gets elected does not get elected? How, how will we respond in faith if the person you don't want in office takes office? How will we respond in faith? Today, I want to look at this. Candidates tend to look at what's going wrong in our country and then make old promises to fix the problems. They basically, all the candidates basically address the fears that really exist right now in our country and they start presenting solutions to our fears. Here's a graphic of a study done by the uh, Chapman University here in Southern California. The top 10 domains of fear among Americans. Okay, top 10 domains of fear. You've got on this list, you've got crime. You've got personal anxieties. You have judgment of others, like you know, it, racial issues, gender issues. You have environmental fears, like global warming and pollution. Uh, we have fears of daily life. All of us have fears of rejection, ridicule, romantic rejection. There's these kind of daily life fears. Then there's the fears of technology, like artificial intelligence or cyber terrorism. Then there's natural disasters. Then there's personal future fears, like am I going to have enough money? Am I going to have a job? 
And then there's man-made disasters like biowarfare and terrorism and nuclear attacks. And then there's this final fear of government. Some, some, some of you here, you fear government corruption. You fear um, legislation that's affecting gun control and immigration. There's all of these different fears uh, of the government along with these other, you know, the, this list of ten total. But all of these fears are the backdrop for campaigns. If you think about it, these are the backdrop for all the campaigning. Candidates, they aim their promises to show how their administration is going to fix and deal with all these concerns and alleviate our fears. Now, here's a survey of of just a few of the leading candidates and their promises. I don't have everybody, so if your candidate's, you know, not going to come up, I'm I'm sorry. And uh, so here's Marco Rubio. Slogan, A New American Century. He has a stance of guarding our freedoms with a promise to rebuild and modernize our military. Look at this quote. He promises this. I want to build a full-spectrum force able to maintain security simultaneously in Europe, in Asia, and in the Middle East. What he's doing is he's addressing the fear of man-made disasters. He's addressing the fear of terrorism and wars. And so this is one of the promises he's making. He wants to address this very real issue in our society. Uh, We have Donald Trump. Donald Trump, another candidate. Make America great again. That's the promise he he is standing upon. And he says this of himself. I will be the greatest job-producing president in American history. Now, he's a businessman, and so that's his background. Among other fears, what he's doing is he's appealing to our fear of our personal future. We all wonder, what's the world going to be like? Am I going to have a job? And Am I going to have enough money? And so, you know, maybe what appeals to you, to this candidate, is the fact that he's a businessman and, and he's no nonsense and he has this track record of business and finance. And maybe, maybe that's going to really help us in the future as a country. Here's another candidate. Ted Cruz. Trust Ted. Trusted. Courageous, conservative, consistent. Uh, among, uh, among many other things, he, he promises to restore the Constitution. He, he wants to be, he's a constitutionalist, and so here's the, a quote from him. I will be willing to spend whatever political capital is necessary, and sir, I give you my word, every justice I put on the court will be a principled constitutionalist jurist with a proven record who will be faithful to the law and will not legislate from the bench. So in recent years, we've had Supreme Court justices beginning to legislate in their role, and that's really not the role that they're supposed to play. <clears throat> and so, he's, he's taking a stand against that, and he's, he's appealing to... Uh, Corruption, you know, the fear of government corruption and politics and things of that. Now, here's another candidate, Bernie Sanders. You know, one of his uh, slogans is expanding possibilities. And, and on gun control, Sanders says this, we need to make sure that certain types of guns exclusively used to kill people, not for hunting, should not be sold in America. So he's appealing to the fear of crime. So if you're afraid of, of guns getting into the hands of criminals, then this candidate, you know, he appeals to that fear. And you read the news and you find out gun violence uh, problems and issues, then this may be, okay, he's addressing the fear I have. Or here's another candidate, Hillary Clinton. Are you ready for Hillary 2016? She vows to make America the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. Look at this quote. Future generations will look back and wonder, what were we thinking? How could we possibly be so irresponsible? I'm just a grandmother 
with two eyes and a brain, and I know what's happening in the world, is going to have a big effect on my daughter, and especially on my granddaughter. So she's appealing to the fear of the environment. And on and on and on, the candidates are, they, they are connecting their promises to very real fears that exist in our world. And, and all of these fears in the future really provides a canvas for candidates to carry out a campaign upon it. And as fears rise with, with every new crisis or new current events, watch how each candidate shifts and presents a new solution and makes a new promise. And on and on and on. Over time, what happens in all of us is that an expectation begins to arise that maybe, maybe one of these candidates can really fix our country. And we start hoping in a person. Maybe, this, maybe one of these folks or one of the other candidates that I didn't mention, maybe they are, are really the hope that we've been you know, waiting for. Look at this, uh, this next slide. Phyllis Schlafly, she is the founder of the Eagle Forum, a conservative activist group. She said this of Donald Trump, that he might just be the last hope for America. She said this statement. It was really connected to how Donald Trump was opposing a recent $1.1 trillion spending bill that was approved by Congress. Donald Trump opposed that bill. And so she commented on how, you know, in her interview about this, that both parties are really in an outrage over what's been happening in Washington. And so she just applauded Donald Trump for his fighting spirit. Maybe he's the last hope for, for America, she, she proclaims. Now, that's just one example from one candidate and, and a supporter. Every major candidate has activists and supporters that build similar expectations and create this sense and this fear that... All of our hopes and dreams are riding on this candidate winning. Now, thankfully, we're not the first people in a broken world with a broken system. We're certainly not the first, you know, group who wants someone to come and and solve problems. The, The pattern, even in the Bible, is that we as a people want to put our trust in someone on earth to fix the problems that exists and lead us forward. We're always looking for leaders. This has always been a pattern for people. We want a leader to lead, to move us forward. However, here's the, the, this is what we're going to focus on today. This is, if you want to pull out your listening guide, God is always our only hope and help. And I want to look at Psalm 146 and walk through a psalm in the Old Testament. This is a song. It's a praise song about the greatness of God. And in this psalm, we see a commitment to trust in God as our only hope. And it's a great psalm that, that's really, just in general, it's a really encouraging song, psalm. But it has timely relevance, especially in, in light of this whole subject of politics. So it begins with praise. If you look at verses 1 and 2, it begins with praise. The psalmist, he, he praises God. Now anytime we praise, or anytime we sing, in worship. What that does is it takes our minds off of our circumstances, takes our minds, shifts them away from our problems, and it lifts them up and focusing them on God who can really help us. So look at verses 1 and 2. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Praise that lifts our perspective from heaven or from earth to heaven. It, it just sets our gaze above earth and the problems. And so after praise, then we see 
We move a little further and we see this. We see that politicians come and go. Politicians come and go quite frequently. Look at verses 3 and 4. The psalmist writes, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man. All of the candidates are, you know, they were born to some human. Some, some earthly family. And so what the psalmist is saying, look, all the princes, these are just mortal men. These princes, these leaders, they have limits in their power. And then he says, in whom there is no salvation. The NIV, it reads, who cannot save. These, these princes, these leaders, they, they can't really save. Look at verse 4. It says, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And on that very day, his plans perish. Think about this. Think about putting your hope in a politician. All of your hope. He's going to fix everything. This is what happens every election year. We put our hope in a politician. That Maybe this year God's going to provide the person we need to really turn things around. Think about putting all of your hope in a politician only to wake up in the morning to turn on the TV and find out that that leader got sick and died overnight. He, he is saying in this psalm, don't put your full trust in any earthly leader. Earthly princes come and they go. Why? Well, a leader, a politician, they can look back. They can look into the past. They can be a student of history and start focusing on what happened here and learn lessons from history. They can gather around them a list of wise, you know, a group of wise advisors to understand the present. But no matter what they promise, and no, no matter how insightful they, they claim to be, no politician can see into the future. Every one of them has limits. For example, like, how, how could George W. Bush have prepared our country for 9-11? He couldn't see into the future. Nobody was thinking airplanes into buildings. Nobody was thinking ter- terrorism in that form. He, he can't see it. He couldn't have seen into the future. Roosevelt, his campaign speech, could not have prepared, prepared America for Pearl Harbor. There was no way he would have known. He can't see into the, he couldn't have seen into the future. When it comes to natural disasters, how could any governor or any president really promise to protect us from all of the unknown disasters that could strike? Politicians, they come and go. They, they don't really know what's coming down the road. That powerful person who we may elect to be our next president is just one breath away from the grave where they will be no help to us at all. And that's what this psalm reminds us of. Even the Son of Man. Look at, look at verse 3 if you back up to the previous slide. Putting on your trust in princes in a son of man. The Hebrew word for man is Adam. And you, you hear Adam. Adam was the first man. Okay, His name Adam. It's the Hebrew Adam. The word for ground is Adama. It's like a word play that goes on. And in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam rebelled against God and he sinned, the judgment upon humanity was that now after sin, all men would return to the what? To the ground, to the dust. All men would... Adam would go back to Adama. This word play just kind of underscores the weakness of even the strongest of men and most powerful leaders. They may be powerful today and a corpse tomorrow. 
That's what the psalmist is reminding of us. Uh, and because of this whole reality, we cannot afford to get swept up in the promises of our politicians. God, God is our always our only hope and help. And however, in contrast to the princes, God keeps every promise forever. He keeps all of His promises. Look at verse five and verse six. Blessed is He whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord His God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Who keep faith forever. God never goes back on His Word. Look at this same verse, but in a different translation. The New Living Translation reads, it says, He made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. God is faithful to keep His His Word. He stands by all His promises. All these candidates are making promise after promise after promise. And we know from previous candidates and elections that how disappointed we've become in, in our government and our leaders who fail to keep their promises. But God, He keeps every promise forever. And when we trust fully in God, he, he just supports us through all the circumstances, through all the seasons, through downturns in the economy, through terrorist strikes, when leaders even die. Our God can be faithful. He is faithful and He, he can be trusted. This reminds us of another key perspective on the back, is that we trust God for our well-being, not government. We trust God to come through for, for our well-being, for, for the needs that we really have as a people. Look at verses 7 through 9. The psalmist writes about God, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. Here what we see is kind of a list of people in dire straits. And these verses really show the Lord is the one who sustains all of us. He's the one who delivers all of us. Just to break it down, look at, look at what we can trust God with. We can trust God with human rights. We can, and that's, that's really, if you just trace these phrases from verses 7 through 9, we, we see human rights, we see relief aid. We see God upholding justice, medical help, like God cares about our health. He restores when we take our rightful place. He's on the side of who do, those who do right. He, he's concerned with all people. You see this issue of His concern for, for, for everyone. He helps the helpless. So the, all of these issues in this passage just remind us of our well-being. They, they remind us that yes, you and I, we're in a weak and dependent, frail state. We're breaking down. We get sick. And it's not saying that, that God can't work and provide and help through our government, but the ultimate solution is never our government. The ultimate solution, God is our only sustainer and hope. He promises to help with these very real concerns. And then, so the question really becomes this. What, what are we really afraid of? What are we really afraid of? We looked at those fears and then how the politicians are addressing the fears. For me, and I would assume most of you, much of our fears related to politics is, what if life as we know it were to get worse? What if this world, our economy, our, our safety, what if things really were to get worse? Politics... 
you know, has a way of pushing that button. Every politician and every campaign party knows, you know, that things need to be run on a campaign related to what's better and not not what's worse. Every politician promises a things will be better campaign. Never a things will be worse campaign. Could you imagine this for a slogan? If I were to run for president in, in eight years, paid for by Della Rosa 2024, <laughs> vote for me. It's all going downhill. Hey, I'll be with you for the ride. <laughs> we don't want worse. We want better. Because we think a lot about if things were to get worse with questions like, what if my freedoms are really taken away? I don't know if you're thinking about that, but, but I've certainly become more prayerful about our freedoms in a lot of areas. What if our freedoms are taken away? What if life gets harder? What will, be, what will life be like for my kids like, and their kids? And if we continue as a country in the direction that we're heading, what will life be like? For me personally, this can be unsettling. And, and, and I'm genuinely concerned for my kids and what this country will be like for them. Not in a hopeless way, but in a way that drives me to, to pray and to ask God and plead with God for help. But the, these are all very real concerns. They're hard questions for us to, to wrestle with. This is why knowing God, who does not change and who knows the future, you know, that's, that's the hope that we have. When you become a Christ follower, you actually have to daily hand your life over to Him and all your fears and all the fears of the unknown, you hand those over every day to the Almighty God. That's, that's the life of faith. We just realize every single day there are things that could go wrong. I have to hand over my, my concerns today again to God Almighty who holds the future, who knows tomorrow. You know? Now practically, the best step we can take when we're overwhelmed with these anxieties is this final one. Go to the worst case scenario and decide you will trust God there. It is always best to run the very worst case scenario and then commit in faith. God, I'm going to trust you if that were to happen. Because God's people throughout the centuries have been faced with terrible cultural and political realities. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, you find many examples of people who have been serving under foreign kings, oppressive leaders, and they keep trusting God in the middle of all of that pressure and all the opposition and the hostility in those environments. In one place in Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses, the leader of the people of Israel, Moses is handing his leadership over to Joshua, the new leader, and he speaks, he gathers all the Israelites together, and he gives them some next steps as they're about to enter into the promised land that God had given them. There was, there was going to be a handful of hardships that they would experience. Things were going to change. Life was not going to get easier for God's people, the Israelites, as they're heading into the promised land. Their leader's about to die. They have a new leader they're going to have to follow. They would be fighting battles after battle after battle in order to advance and inherit the promised land. If you read through the conquest of the promised land in the, in the uh, book of Joshua. But look at what he says in Deuteronomy. God says this to his people through Moses. Moses says to them, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. This is what he says to God's people. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never, or he will not leave you or forsake you. 
When you and I, when we face the worst case scenario of our country, of our society, and even our lives, this same truth remains. God will never leave us nor forsake us. This allows us to be strong and courageous and not shrink back with all that may come politically. Even today, with just the political landscape of America, God still brings hope and help no matter what happens. Why is that? Well, it's because He does not have a four or eight year term. And then He's gone. He, he also does not get voted in or out. He cannot be bought. He can't be influenced by lobbyists like other politicians. Look back at the very last verse of Psalm 146, verse 10. He begins with praise, he ends with praise. So the psalmist writes, The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. His, his help and His hope can be experienced right now and for the generations to come. If things get worse and worse and worse for us, God will still be there in that time and place, just like He was for God's people back in Israel, just like He has been faithful to us as people who walk with Him. And as I wrap up, I want you to kind of think through some real, you know, think through this whole area of worst case scenarios. I want to offer a few more just bullets here. You can jot these down if you'd like. When things feel hopeless, pray and ask Him for help. Now this may seem like a given, but don't move so quickly past this. Pray and ask God for help when you are experiencing the worst case scenario and it seems hopeless. The way you stop the spiral into fear when it comes, before you kind of get overwhelmed, if you do feel hopeless, you just admit it to God. God, I've been giving into fear and I feel like this, the current of our culture is, is such that I'm like getting gripped with fear daily. I turn on the news and if that's you, just declare, God, I will trust you even if fill in the blank were to happen. Whatever your worst fears are, whatever that worst case scenario, God, I will, I will trust you even with that. Another, another thing to do is pray that God's will be done in our country through our leaders. Pray that God's will be done in our country through our leaders. Shifting from worry and complaining about our country, which is what we typically do when we turn on the news. We get, we get anxious and we start complaining. Shifting away from that and just choosing to, to really pray for our country and for our leaders, that's one of the most helpful and powerful ways to influence the government is to pray. We're told, we're going to look at some verses in the New Testament in the next couple of weeks about how to specifically pray for our leaders. But pray. And then another one is when you begin to get dis- disappointed about the polls, like you, you're putting your hope in a candidate or you start seeing the country go in a certain direction, hold up the shield of faith and just declare, my God will not rip me off. My God, He will be faithful He will not fail to accomplish His purposes. I can hold up the shield of faith any time. And many times in my life, I've had to declare this out loud. As I get to the core of some disappointment or some discouragement, I have to hold up the shield of faith and say, my God will not fail to accomplish His purposes in this situation or in my life. I have to hold up the shield of faith. This is something that Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. It's a defensive way to battle against the constant onslaught of thoughts that come our way from the enemy or just even from the, from the world. Then finally, dig into Scripture and remind yourself of truth. God, God is ruling on the throne. He will reign forever. That's what this psalm says. God will reign forever. He's ruling on His throne. He will do what's right. He will do what's just in everything. And so over time, these, these, these things can be really helpful 
As we just keep turning from despair to hoping in God, even if the worst case scenario that we could imagine were to come true. I want to invite our worship team to join me back up on the stage. and I'm really glad that you've all set aside this time to come this morning as we look at this important subject. My hope for this morning really is that we would just kind of set our heart to trust God as we head into this season of political campaigning. That we just set our heart to trust God. And for some of you, maybe this is the first campaign you've paid attention to. And for others, you've been through this year after year after year. Or every four years you go through this. And so, but what I wanted to do was just as, as a group, that we would just set our heart to put our hope in God. And that we wouldn't be riding the roller coaster of politics and promises and fear. But that we just set our heart to trust the one true God who is almighty. Here's the next steps. These are on the back of your connection card. The first one is, would you pray weekly? This is, you know, pray weekly until November 8th for our, that God, His will would be done in our country through our leaders. Second, identify the fears that I need to release to God and start praying. If you, if you are, if you've kind of been spiraling in emotion or worry, just identify that and begin to turn that over to God. And then the last thing is, I want to encourage you to come back and attend the rest of the series. Maybe bring somebody with you that you think this would be helpful for. To get some perspective from God's Word as we continue to advance into this election year. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for ruling and reigning in heaven and on earth. Lord, you made everything that we see. And Lord, we, by your mighty hand, uh, you've been working in our world through people. You raise people up. All leaders rise and fall. You, you lift them up. You exalt people for a season. You bring some down. God, you work through great leaders. You work through sloppy leaders. And sometimes you're just trying to accomplish something that we don't see from our limited view. So God, we just remember that all of your ways are so much greater and um, you have a level of understanding and wisdom that we just, we don't get. <laughs> and so, Lord, we thank you that you that we can trust you, God, with this season and this election year. Lord, we do pray for the, the person that you uh, will appoint to lead our country forward. We pray in advance for that person, Lord, that you would really do a work through them, that you would accomplish your purposes through them, even despite, Lord, despite them, despite their feelings and shortcomings. Lord, we know that you can work through through whichever leader you decide. Help us to set our heart to trust you, God, this year. And help us to pray, Lord, and to play an active role, Lord, in this area. Thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for the work you're doing in us and in our church. And we ask you to bless the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.